0: Hello, and welcome to Theory Talk, a philosophy podcast and critical thinking jam session from Theoretical Media. Uh, As of now, that's myself, Joseph Weissman, and my colleague, Taylor Adkins. We are independent scholars in the humanities and, um, yeah, the founders of the theory weblog, Fractal Ontology. You can visit that at ontology.io. You can find us on Twitter at theory underscore talk. Um, and if you enjoy the show, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find, find podcasts like, uh, like this one. Um, we're really glad you're thinking with us. We uh, do the show because we believe thinking and writing are really important today. And um, so what we've kind of done is begun capturing our jam sessions, right? Uh, our our uh, places and, and spaces where we... Uh, get into, get into theory. Um, and I'm really proud to bring you, uh, this show. We're, we're delighted to do it. Uh, and we're, we're glad that, uh, that you get something out of it. Um, if you, uh, you know, we're, we're delighted that you, that you're even listening. Um, but if you do feel like contributing further to the show, uh, you should know that we have a Patreon where you can go and, uh, and contribute, um, throw a little bit of your hard-earned money our way uh, and it'll go towards making the show even better um, and come to you more often. Uh, and if you if you do subscribe uh, and support the show that way, you'll get access uh, to sort of special materials and, and bonus content. Um, and, you know, we're reaching episode 40, uh, which means we've done an awful lot of theory talking and um, we're thinking of maybe putting a few shows uh, sort of only for the Patreon members, uh, to sort of provide a little extra impetus, um, but, uh, but we're, we're happy just that you're, you're listening. We're, we're, we're grateful and, and, you know, really glad to be able to do the show. And, uh, with that, uh, I'm happy to present this week's episode. Please enjoy. Obviously, I, I've been still plugging through
1: the critique. Uh, yeah, we could talk about some of that. Um, yeah, Joe's been reading the the critique of pure reason. It's uh, it's one of those classics. It's considered kind of like the modern turn in philosophy, or yeah, one of those turns.
0: It's, it's definitely great, and I I can hardly recommend it to to anyone trying to like understand more about. Not just philosophy but like the specific kind of philosophy it's like there's this this whole line of transcendentalist thinkers that um we were kind of we were kind of trying to elaborate this today and so it's sort of like a a plan or a program of, of transcendentalism that's articulated in like kant and Spinoza and hegel and um not that they like form this triumvirate but that there's like these distinct moments of thought that could be picked apart and understood and so I was kind of thinking it might be interesting to read like the ethics alongside the critique, the first critique. Um, but maybe it's it's closer to put the ethics alongside like the third critique or something like this,
1: or even or, that's how like, the loser would read it, or all right?
0: the all the critiques together or something like this.
1: Right, that's how I guess that's um, how the loser would read it because throwing in Spinoza with Hegel and Kant is a kind of interesting. Um, I mean, that's that's basically what. Deleuze tries to do tries to bear the the, the truth of Spinoza up against um, the the negative ontology if you will or the the ontology of the negative that we find um, specifically in, in Hegel so uh, but we, we've this is ground that we've covered but I guess it, it makes sense um, I mean Mia Sue says right that we can't. Can't necessarily become pre-critical in a kind of dogmatic, um, re- e- you know, um, naive realism type of way. And eschew Kant, um, we have to kind of go through him right? He kind of says we're we're sort of all Kantians in this in this way um, of having to grapple with the transcendental instead of
0: we have to tra- we have to traverse this fantastic plane, yes. plane of the trans this transcendental plane. We can't just pretend it doesn't it doesn't exist and that we can directly make kind of dogmatic uh, barbaric quote unquote barbaric assertions about the world right? right or about the real and yet i guess here's one of the things because it seems like geometry and mathematical physics are doing this thing and that this is some of the sense of analytic philosophy and even of like kind of contemporary you know popularizers of science right they're kind of impatience with academic philosophy and it's kind of tampering with language um, especially the language of mathematical physics, uh, because it is a, a, a kind of has its own doctrine of the real that's, that's kind of attached to it. And it's, I don't think it's enough to say it's a hallucination. I think this is one of the things Mayasu is kind of trying to understand, is that we have to traverse this hallucination of the real that takes place in geometry and mathematical physics and, and ask again this question of how it, you know, can this traversal of reality take place in metaphysics and in what sense? And what would the conditions of that kind of, tra- you know, transcendence of thinking be? Um, and, I, you know, I mean, because it, 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 it feels like Kant wants to think through the skepticism, right? Of the, that Hume kind of engenders. Right. And, he, and isn't this the, the, the kind of idea with, with Kant is that Hume wakes him up out of a Newtonian kind of mathematical, physical realism? It's, I mean, it's almost like he lives in his life. This like transition from kind of analytic thinking to of, of geometry and mathematics and, and physical sciences of this of this kind of analysis and then realizing oh no a deeper synthesis is needed right he wants he wants to give metaphysics like the ability to do these these profound sure certain syntheses right. of of our knowledges right
1: yeah it's the The response to Hume is, um, I mean, Heidegger does this in his own way. This is what makes him. I, I said to you the other day. This is what makes Heidegger very Kantian. is the same. There's a similar type of goal right at the start of Being in Time, where the regional sciences, the regional sciences don't, um, they. They are perpetually in crisis because they don't have this phenomenology, this this uh, ontological foundation that would be uh, foundational, right? In in a sense in which being can be uh, can be situated, can be said, can can be said in a certain way that puts its question in question with the question of Dasein of of being there, of human being. And this is what phenomenology would then do and be able to provide a foundation for science. And Kant's trying to do something similar where science needs the transcendental, lest it slip into a kind of, again, another kind of slumber or maybe just a, a different sort of delusion that would always be open to the skeptic's rebuttal. So it's all in that sense then how to incorporate skeptics, skepticism in this higher this alpha-bong, this higher synthesis of transcendental um, ground, transcendental foundation.
0: I mean, it's kind of skepticism in a few directions, right? Because I think contemporary science is skeptical of philosophy's ability to reach the truth in a certain way. Like an ability to do much other than distract us with language games from the pursuit of the real. Uh, which they kind of seem to naively believe they possess, but at the same time they're also making these statements that, you know, do have this universality and necessity. This is the nature of physical laws. I mean, Mayasou kind of almost seems to be articulating this way in which their kind of naivete, you know, it's the gap between the understanding of time as a as something we're transcendentally l- locked into, and almost this relativity, this possibility of a of more than one time. Right. M- m- he basically talks about a mad time mm-hmm. i don't know this this question of relative the hyper chaos hyper chaos yeah, the, hi- the no, mad time no, of hyper chaos exactly yeah. yeah Yeah. in other words that anything could happen at any time for any reason right um then in fact the physical laws themselves while they have this universality and necessity there's nothing for them in turn i don't know there's nothing to give them right. this this necessity forever
1: right I, I, I don't know i don't know it's hard yeah, it's, it's hard
0: to get it get at this problem
1: Mayasu says it from the viewpoint of a post-Kantian of taking up the the Kantian uh, sort of um, revisiting this Copernican revolution and and sort of articulating it in these generalized terms insofar as we think through the the correlation and answer the correlationists uh, weak and strong arguments for the inevitability of it um, I think that Spinoza and a Spinozist would be able to make a similar type of shift and would probably grant the argument, if not on different means, they would put it in different terms, but they would grant this argument about hyper-chaos, um, and it would, there would be nothing...
0: It seems to eviscerate reason. soon seems conscious of this—that mm-hmm. it like debases the ground, right? Like right. the reason would try to stand on. Right? Well, it's the
1: question of the absolute, the absolutely infinite nature of um, of God, of substance, and its absolutely infinite nature. As long as its uh, power, its is is actualized, um, there's nothing to say in which hyper chaos would go against that type of expression it would just be for I mean for Spinoza we wouldn't necessarily be able to um, we would have to devise means in which we would be able to induce deduce these 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 changes in physical laws for example I mean that would be that would be a resonance in a chain and see a amongst which we as, as subjects are um, are open to that. Uh, so you're saying even
0: hyper-chaos could be a sort of phenomenon that we could transcendentally deduce re- real aspects of or even physically decode in some way to find the underlying principle.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I would uh, say that question that Miyasu would bring back to Spinoza is is this this is God being absolutely necessary Um, that Spinoza to follow along Miyasu would have to grant that the contingency of God be absolute yeah Um, and would that be could that be framed in a way that I mean really now you're getting to the heart of the definitions of existence and essence being expressed in substance. I mean these are some of the very opening pages of ethics that you would have to revisit and would the absolutely infinite nature of God allow for the absoluteness of its contingency? It it becomes it it becomes it becomes tricky there, right? I mean um, would that be a power? Could that could that be expressed as a power of God? Sorry, I think we may have to say some of that again. There's pretty loud. Just just uh, when okay. Spinoza would be able to grant the contingency of God of nature of substance, and it, it, that's where it gets difficult to parse um, the essence of substance implies. Its, well, its it, existence. It's, right. Spinoza's
0: thesis is kind of that God's power is necessarily infinite. That nature's power. Is in principle capable of anything and so this seems to imply that it's also capable of annihilating itself right, right. and in fact physical mathematical physics of, of relativity suggests this that the universe itself had a beginning in time right at an infinite singularity a point of infinite curvature right um and that it you know will end as well right like that there, there's a time not only before and after life but before and after time and space right and it's sort of like what do time and space even mean anymore even in some transcendental sense or I mean this is sort of the thing about contemporary mathematical physics as it seems to have penetrated what for Kant were, were transcendental things these, these pure forms of time and space that mathematical physics reveals are aspects of a single manifold mm-hmm. right and that Kant sort of is like well I mean the transcendental is almost the correlation itself it's about like the necessary form of of any object or process whatsoever right like as it might appear to a conscious reasoning subject right like it's the conditions of possible cognition more than they are ultimate conditions about reality this is even the the kind of the distinction Kant wants to start drawing right, right. is to almost give space you know not only for faith but for practical read the reason of of geometry and i mean they're pure in their own way right mm. but they're 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 still more empirical than pure metaphysics somehow there's like this interesting stratification of cognition that khan is kind of interested in doing um that i that i think a lot of you know post kantianism is interested in teasing apart right kind of asking you know like is it But again, even, you know, physical science, biology, life science does kind of suggest this layered, stratified approach to the development of of creatures and and of higher thinking. Um, So that there's a a slow envelopment of simpler systems by more complicated ones, right? Um, And, uh, I mean, like, the the structure of the brain itself is kind of interesting in, in terms of this. That, like, that they're... That we are beginning to penetrate into some of the the actual mechanisms of, of the minimal self-reflexive loop of consciousness and right. understand the correlates of it in in terms of you know and, and I mean again it's not much more than being able to point to a to an area of an organ right it's not actually a functional cognitive theory of how how does higher order cognition emer- emerge from kind of nothing right Cause, I mean this is part of the problem of like. Of intelligence is defining the coordinates, and mm. uh, in, in what space. And it seems like Kant, a major thing Kant did was sort of bring Enlightenment reason. This is the Copernicus aspect of it, right? Like you know, find some of the ordering coordinates, right? Like by trying to isolate these transcendental forms of space and time. And it's sort of like they were necessary in that moment, in this enlightenment moment of a clockwork universe before relativity, but we need a post-Kantian new critical rationality to cope with the fact that space and time are mutable aspects of the same manifold and that we can bring that into our intuition and understanding with, with mathematical physics. Right. But we don't... That I mean, it's almost like Kant didn't delineate enough space for for physics, if that makes sense, right? Like, still thought that philosophy had to intuit these pure forms of space and time when in fact the pure and empty form of time can be described mathematically yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: and and can be even described in a Bedouzian way in terms of appearing so it could also imply a phenomenological exposition that would go through mathematics instead of this systematization this uh, conjunction of of language or at least philosophical language um, I think but to lose the critical moment the transcendental moment this movement towards what he calls transcendental empiricism almost inviting an oxymoron or yeah a sort of oxymoronic tilt to its in terms of like a Kantian framework those those terms might clash to a Kantian era I guess um, but what it's almost like a pneumonology would be one way to right I mean that's he he seems to emphasize this throughout the difference throughout difference of repetition and it reminds me a little bit of of what Levinas does in a, in a different vein but he he opposes this this realm of knowledge albeit you know it, it, it's not sufficient for what he begins to call learning and he will kind of juxtapose these, these two against one another that the accumulation of knowledge doesn't lead to uh, to what one might call learning and I think that the way he puts it out there through this understanding of difference and univocity is a kind of post-human transcendental subject um, potentially non-human sort of the unmooring of the, I think, of the cogito, outside of the anthropomorphic boundaries. Right, right. I see you saying something
0: maybe about how Deleuze is in communication with, with science, and talking about how what conditioned transcendental unity of apperception doesn't necessarily look like it. That if transcendental unity of apperception is personal, then it must come from an impersonal transcendental field. Right. Right? And that givenness itself emerges as an aspect of this higher order dimensionality right um and yeah i mean i'm tempted to say this takes him to the chaos of the brain and that this is where right. know, Deleuze and losing atari encounter kind of the the tr- the the truth of the image of thought or something that it that it isn't you know tra- transcendentally deduced right but rather you know it is founded in hyper-chaos, right? Like, it starts in the in the middle of a becoming, right? right? That the, indivi- yeah. the individuation takes this chaotic, wandering trajectory as it, like, begins to move around, and, I, I, I don't know, at, at this noumenal level, right? Like, through this... There, I mean, this is the connection, right? It is in the radical connectivism of the individually, like, meaningless neurons, right? But, like, together in an assemblage that's stratified... It can form a collective uh, machine that, that is thinking these, these pure concepts, right? And the, so, I mean, I guess this is what, what his philosophy starts with, is like how do you build a concept, right? What is, it, what is it made with? And the point is it doesn't look like what conditions it, right? What conditions it is the hyper-chaos that's, that's at work inside the mind, right, inside of the brain. It's forming the most basic level of the mind right that these things aren't separate by some transcendental like gap right uh, but that they're they're intermeshed right that the, the the connections between perceptions right that are transcendentally unified in the minimal self-loop of consciousness these are encoded in the brain in in its enfoldings right and there and this is the plasticity of the brain enables this it's it's because it can, it can grow it can heal but it can also be destroyed irreparably there's there's forgetting here too um right i mean just even at the level of an organism there would be hyper chaos in any any mode of intelligence just just because of the nature of the substrate that, right. it, that it, it
1: would have to be able to learn and to grow and to change and yeah the, the, the dialectic of the brain at the end of what is philosophy is extremely important for It has to be kept in mind for when Deleuze and Guattari are sometimes thought of to be idealists in a certain way in which they might be mistaken when they talk about desire and its investment. Uh, There's a way in which one might see this as deceptively unmoored from the material flows that it implies, that desire always implies... A materiality, but you know they can perhaps, like Lacan, be taken uh, out of context and be made into idealists. So when 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 desire is linked with the brain, you can already see an example of like schizoanalysis. Um, when in a thousand plateaus, they they oppose memories to blocks of becoming, where memories would imply this internal resonance of psychic repression memories would imply this play of confabulation that that can happen and the disparity between you know an actually remembered event and 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 a a fantasized phantasmagoric memory that for the subject is just as real or at least unless analyzed um and so memory and something something like memory, long-term memory whatever I know that they go through different types of memory at the end of a thousand Toes, but specifically memory as a psychoanalytic category as a basis, a root for hysteria as pathologies for repression um, they see this then as a negative connotation when looking at becomings when looking at one's yeah. life as an eminence referring to a category of memory seems to re-territorialize it to to imply a kind of the the way in which the Oedipal Triangle already like castrates desire and forces memory into this territoriality of, of mommy, daddy, me but blocks of becoming imply this right don't no, know, I, I wonder yeah. if this
0: is at work in the critique right like again because these memories are the first level connections between yourself and a, a phenomena right that experience it, that have to get yeah right, right that have to get conjoined in some kind of transcendental synthesis of apperception that right. like weaves together all these things into a common thing is it's, it's, it's this thing about the house it's not a necessary order of the house in terms of you could traverse it lots of ways you could look you could look at it left to right or right to left but it's it's the unity of the parts once you tra- right. traverse them that that brings you to that I'm seeing a house.
1: The architectonics, this right? What comp will start to? I mean, at the at the end of the.
0: But in D and G and a Thousand Plateaus, talk about the house is like the fuse, the confusion of planes. This point of where all the planes are, are fusing together, um, right? And, and sort of, you know, you, you you can you can see there these that the the house is like extruded from a higher dimensional space, right? That it that it's. It opens on onto a world, mm-hmm. and this is maybe closer to, to the to the question of where does cognition come from, which is like how do we enclose the unity of our of our pers- of sensibility and in, into a, a a box, right, right? Like how do we capture this this infinite dimensional intensity, like field of intensities, and, and turn it in and start a minimal self loop of cognition, right, right? What are the actual mechanisms, and it is. It has to be built out of the chaos of the brain, right? Right, out of this this field of connections, um, that, that acquires an intensity and 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 complexity as there's
1: movements of energy through it. So you right? so just to to kind of put our two topics together, you remember in it was either at the end of the stories in iRobot or it was in the, the novels that followed where the one of the key ideas uh, is is the the robo-analyst right, the the psychoanalyst that is assigned to kind of debugging and... and S- Susan and Calvin robo-psychologist. Robo-psychologist right. there you yeah, go. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about how this reminds me of the way that Guattari formulates schizoanalysis insofar as I see at least, not just from Deleuze, but um, from Guattari's own interest, the Spinozist aspect, that the Schizoanalyst, the robo psychologist has a has an aspect of a of a Spinosus insofar as what is being looked at is the way in which one's powers to affect and be affected um, are not maximally engaged due to um, due to due to these negative affects, and I mean we can leave aside the question of you know AI in the fan in the in the kind of sci-fi sense, but even on the on the level of schizoanalysis on this getting back to this memory and memory as a as a as a way of then encoding our self-analysis into this this already passive type of narrative of these things that that happened to me rather than the rather than going through this line of pure events of of thinking of um the way in which we're not negatively determined to be affected by our, our memories in, in a way, but that they are these blocks of becoming that are a part of a narrative that implies an active affirmation, right? Yeah. In the way that Nietzsche talks about joy, this active affirming of, of the past in such a way that it, it appropriates the negativity and affirms it even in its negativity. And, and, and by doing that, we, we, we are able to align these forces more. Um, organically or synthetically, whichever one you want, to our to our own powers. There's a way of becoming empowered by.
0: I love this this yeah. thing about Spinoza bots, right? Yeah, because Spinoza, okay, it, yeah. It's um, you know, I mean, again, like is there an algorithm for joy, right? Yeah, like can we, that's can, great. we can we actually build these machines? But um, but there, I mean, there's something wonderful about robots and Asimov as these. Experimental elaborations of a set of transcendental axioms, right? right. Like, you know, I should never hurt a human, right? But they, I think about the Kantian thing now, about their have, they're trying to follow these imperatives, yes. But getting tripped up in their own the the web of the connections and conjunctions and disjunctions between mm-hmm. between the axioms, right? And when they're fully elaborated into systems and put into contact with reality end up in irretrievable antinomies, right? Like I have to go forward because of axiom one, but I can't proceed because of axiom two, so I'm stuck, right? Like that they're, they're pushing me into, it's almost like a, and this is maybe the spinosis dimension, mm-hmm. is that each of the axioms is talking about the movement of bodies, right? Yeah. Like in preventing disinhibiting certain kind of movement Or, on the other hand, commanding them, intensifying them, propelling them. Right. And so there's one of these where the robot's being pushed in one direction by one rule and the other by another, right? Like, there's someone injured, but they've they've had, like, the different laws altered in their strength so that they, like, can almost equal out, and so they're stuck running in a circle, right? Or the more brutal instance is that the laws aren't specified in, in their full generality. So there needs to be an axiom of choice. In the well, they, I mean, maybe here's a thought, right? Like that, in the Foundation novels, right? It, it turns out, at least in the the later elements of it, Asimov weaves in the robots into his his galactic empire, right? And so they end up um, they irradiate the Earth with a nuclear weapons. Some of his robots that have been given the power of telepathy and like have had a lot of contact with humans and. They, because they realize there's a zeroth law that has to come before the laws about you can't allow humanity itself to come to harm, And so they prevent these war crimes, they irradiate, by, but they force everyone to evacuate the earth and it actually fries one of the robot's brains. Right. Um, because he can't take what he's done to human beings, but he's secured the future of humanity, right? It was this kind of choice, right? Yeah. And, the, and so they, they the robots save us, save the human race a number of times, and they do it in a different way when we expand into deep space, right? Like, as we, as human, the human race moves out into the galaxy, the robots follow with us, uh, and especially these kind of, these higher-order watcher robots that have, like, learned to gain a a kind of self-reflexivity about the axioms. And they, and they, you know, the laws only talk about human beings, not about intelligent creatures don't allow intelligent creatures to come to harm. They needed to be more categorical. Yeah. Because what the robots ended up doing is, as human beings expanded, they, they, the robots expanded ahead of them in, in a bigger wave, and they sometimes detected alien creatures, and they wiped them out to, right. to protect human beings, because they were never given any rules about not harming human beings. And in fact, they transcendentally deduced these rules about protecting humanity as such from, yeah. from any possible threats. Right. But they ended up sterilizing the galaxy around them. And humanity is like wondering why they're not finding intelligent life as their own machine penumbra is extinguishing it.
1: That's
0: beautifully put. Hey, you've made it to the end of another uh, wonderful episode of Theory Talk. Uh, once again, we're so happy you're thinking with us. Um, I am Joseph Weissman. Uh, with me in conversation today was Taylor Adkins. You can find us on Twitter at Fractal Ontology. And Taylor is at T. Adkins, 613. Uh, you can find the show itself at Theory underscore Talk. We, we'd love to hear from you. Please you know, give us any feedback at all about the show. And um, yeah, thanks for tuning in and, you know, have a great week.